brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about a very, very dark topic. It's uh, rape. We're going to discuss it, and I'm going to start off with some statistics. But I first want to define what rape is legally. And it is the penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. Now, now on the average, there's about 321,500 victims uh, ages 12 and older of rape and sexual assault each year, and that's just in the United States. The vast majority of those folks are under 30. 15% uh, are 12 to 17, but here's the deal. 54% are 18 to 34, 28% are 35 to 64, and then 3% is 65 and up. Uh, ages 12 to 34 are obviously high-risk uh, factors for assault. But, um, you know, ages 12 to 34 are also the highest risk years for rape and sexual assault. And and one, here's the weird one. It's not even the weird one. It's just it's the obvious one because I see it in counseling constantly on any given day. One out of six women... And this is just the women, and we're going to cover men to men and women to women and women and man uh, sexual rape. But the deal is one out of six women in the U.S. have been a victim of attempted or completed rape. And and an estimated 17.7 million American women had been victims of attempted and completed rape. And that is statistics up to 2004. It's really hard to get statistics on rape because a lot of people don't come forward. They don't press charges. They don't prosecute. They don't say anything. Many people will die and never speak of a rape. And however, the impact on them sexually is devastating. And we'll go into the impact and how this affects them. We're also going to talk about how to help people that have been raped as far as far as being their friend or being their partner, whatever that is. Now, listen to this. 82% of all juvenile victims are female, but 90% of adult rape victims are female. So, so many young men are raped at a young age. And so, you know, females 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. Women ages 18 to 24, now here's the weird one, it's not the weird one, it's the obvious one, that, 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 who are college students, full-time college students likely living on campus are three times more likely than women in general to experience sexual violence. Females of the same age who are not enrolled in college are four times more likely. And so, you know, it's amazing and so college students on college campuses, this is where this kind of thing festers. A lot of exploratory sexuality, a lot of predatory behavior. You've got all these people in a very condensed place and they're sleeping and they're going to school together. There's a lot of activity going on. And then we have the date rape drugs and I've had done a show on all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's amazing 
this predatory process on college campuses, and many colleges struggle to come to grips with this. You know, college students, 18 to 24, are five times more likely to be raped than non-students. And, and 21% of transgender, uh, uh, genderqueer, non-conforming college students have been sexually assaulted. And, and compared to 18% of the non, uh, non-transgenders and 4% of the non-transgenders males. So 18% of the females and 4% of the non-gendered males. And, and here's the other deal. This is the mental health part of it that really motivated me to do this show is 94% of women who are raped experience post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms during the two weeks following the rape. And it's actually a, called acute anxiety. 30% of women report PTSD symptoms nine months after the rape. 33% who are raped contemplate suicide. 33%. 33%. And 13% of the women who are raped attempt suicide. That's horrible, folks. And that's why when someone is raped, number one, they need to come forward, not only to try to prosecute, but also to try to heal. You know, approximately 70% of rape or sexual assault victims experience moderate to severe distress and a larger percentage uh, uh, um, uh, for any other violent crime. People who have been sexually assaulted are more likely to use drugs than the general public, 3.4 times more likely to use marijuana, 6 times more likely to use cocaine, 10 times more likely to use major drugs. This is the victims of rape we're talking about. Sexual violence also affects victims' relationships with their family, their friends, and their coworkers, and we're going to talk about that. 38% of victims of sexual violence experience work or school problems, and that can include uh, uh, problems with the boss, a coworker, or a peer. Now, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of statistics out here, but it's important to understand the ramifications of this stuff. 37% experience family-friend problems, and this is people who have been raped, including getting into arguments more frequently, not feeling able to trust anyone and not feeling close in a, in a, in a, a relationship. 84% of survivors who were victimized uh, by an intimate partner experience professional uh, or emotional issues, including moderate to severe distress, increased problems at work and school. And guess what? 79% of the survivors who were victimized by a family member, a close friend or acquaintance, experienced very strong emotional issues and increased problems in their life, period. Uh, 60% who were victimized by a stranger have the same kind of distress, and but, but it is even uh, greater sometimes because they feel fear all the time because they're out there in the general public. Some people feel fear just being around their family. You know, it's victims are at risk of pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. And studies suggest that a chance of getting pregnant from a one-time unprotected intercourse is between 3.1 and 5%, depending on the multitude of factors, including the time of the month of intercourse occurs, whether the contraceptives were used, the age of the female. So the average number of rapes and sexual assaults against female or childbearing age is around 2,000, uh, excuse me, 250,000. You know, so it is amazing. Now, here's a population that is the most at risk in America. American Indians age 12 and older experience 5,900 sexual assaults per year. 
American Indians are twice as likely to experience rape and sexual assault compared to all races. But 41% of sexual assaults against American Indians are committed by a stranger, 34% by a, an acquaintance, and 25% by an intimate or a family member. So, you know, also, if you have to look at prison, 80,600 inmates each year experience sexual violence while in prison. 60% of all sexual violence against inmates is perpetuated by jail or per, uh, prison staff. And th- that's amazing. You know, more than 50,000 of sexual, uh, sexual contact between an inmate and a staff member, all of which is illegal, is non-consensual. 50%. 18,900 military members experienced unwanted sexual contact, and this is in September of 2014 that this was this study came out. Also, 4.3 of active duty women and .9% of active duty men experienced unwanted sexual contact. And of the 18,900 survivors, 43% of females and 10% of males actually reported uh, for there to be a criminal investigation on someone. You know, and let's look at what these rapists are about. I'm, I'm sorry I've fired all these statistics at you, but it's important to get your head around how this thing impacts people and where it comes from and what, when you look at the statistics, you start to understand the bigger picture. The, the mindset of the rapist, which is one of the darkest realms in human sexuality, is being mapped. With, with new precision because a lot of researchers are, are focusing on psychological forces that drive sexual violence. And so a lot of the people that have been convicted of rape are actually being studied in order to understand how their mindset is. You know, in, in years past, rape was seen as an expression of an overwhelming sexual urge, one that, that women could invite by provocative dress or behavior. But more recently, it's been widely described as simple Violence against people uh, expressed through sex. Now, new findings suggest there are many kinds of rapists and violence and eroticism, uh, which holds greater degrees and different degrees and different categories. And and these findings, um, you know, also note that a small minority of rapists are sexual renegades driven by sadistic fantasies, hatred of women, and, and far more common are men with a normal sexual orientation who rape impulsively as the opportunity presents itself, often while on a date. You know, these findings also confirm that most men are not ordinarily aroused by depictions of sexual violence, but certain circumstances like being angry at a woman can alter that. And while the capacity to be aroused by sexual violence does not in itself suggest that a man is potential rapist, it is a a capacity successful rapists must have. You know, rapists often recall being intensely angry, depressed, or feeling worthless for days, even months leading up to the rape. Very often the rapists say they are the trigger for the rape was when a woman uh, made them angry, usually at rebuffing a sexual overture, and the man experienced the, the rebuff as an insult to their manhood that infested an angry, emotional misery. And, and you know what's an, an amazing is many times the people who actually rape have been molested or have been violated in some sexual way. Many of them are trying to figure out why they were molested or why they were raped. 
by becoming a rapist. And and it's it's sick. It's just sick, but this is how this goes. You know, date rapists fall into this very strong category of an opportunist. You know, opportunists are are who their rapes are very impulsive. And among convicted rapes, twenty-three percent of all the convicted rapes fell into the opportunist category, which is the date rapist. And um you know, these rapists are far more common among those who are never caught or convicted. And that means that there's more crimes than what has been said. You know, I would suggest rape is probably five to ten times more uh, out there than has actually been reported. You know, the, the researchers always caution that there's no single psychological formula that explains a rape. There's a huge variety you know, so we talk about the the date rapists, the the opportunists, but our men are uh, men who are preoccupied with the uh, fixed sexual fantasy, which they try to act out on the rape, are another common type. They have a sexual fixed sexual fantasy, an obsession, and this is about twenty five percent of the convicted rapists. These men, and by the way, the men are studied because the men are the most convicted of the rape. So the statistics out there are very weak for for uh, male to male, female to female, or uh, female to male. But we're going to go into it. We are going to talk about it. So we're going to focus mainly on the men, but there's a lot of parallel with with woman to woman and man to man and, and uh, woman to man. All right. You know, the 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 they, these people, these opportunities, fixed sexual fantasies, they, they have a romantic fantasy in which they force a woman to have sex and then she then falls in love with them. That's what they think is going to happen because they have sex with them. And these men are often arrested because they try to make a date to see their victim again and will name a time and place to meet. And yes, they get arrested, hopefully. You know, that the least aggressive of rapists, such men are most likely to be uh, to, to flee if a woman puts up a strong resistance. And these rapes, for instance, the rapist will take his coat off, put it on the ground for his victim to lie on. So basically they're making a suggestion. The woman re- rejects the suggestion and they run. Uh, far more violent are 32% of convicted rapists. They are, uh, they're classified as the vindictive type. 32%. Their assaults are physically harmful and their intent is clearly to degrade and humiliate the woman. And they are woman haters. And similar were another 11% of rapists who are, uh, have a compelled motive is anger at the world at large. But unlike the woman hating rapists, these are, are angry men and women alike. They were, they were likely to have inflicted the most physical damage on their victims because they just hate the world. They pick fights with men and women. They are unlike uh, other rapists and having a long history of sexual violent crimes, not just sexual crimes of all sorts. They have fights in bars. They're assaulting arresting officers. These kind of uh, sexual sadists are, are, these kind of people are very, very, carry a lot of anger and are very dramatic. So now uh, sexual sadists were the rarest type. They're about 8% of the convicted rapists. And these Men, in particular, that were researched were obsessed with sadistic fantasies in which their rapes were meant to enact for the sadists. You know, the, the, the victim's fear is the sexual stimulus. And so they, they want that role of violence and they want to get that reaction from the woman. 
You know, other research suggests that violence more than any other eroticism is the engine that drives the rapist behavior. You know, many young males report unwanted sex. Um, female acquaintances uh, uh, was the, is the aggressor in many cases. You know, and society questions the validity of male sex assault and domestic violence victims. And, and complaints about women's bosses preying on the men have, have actually doubled since the year 2000. So what's going on out there? You know, most often it's a female teacher to student. That is the highest uh, woman to, to man or women to child uh, sex crime that is being exposed. And those statistics are going higher and higher because these boys are actually coming forward and these people are actually getting convicted. Sometimes they come forward later on. You know, it isn't that long ago that female on male sex violence wouldn't have resulted in sexual crimes at all. Believe it or not, in some states in the United States, it is so biased that against male victims that it doesn't even recognize female on male sexual assaults, you know, and Canada, by the way, is, is reportedly no better. See, so there exists a clear and wide disparity between the sentence of convicted female and male sex offenders. And here, here are some of the, the females accused or convicted of sex crimes against children in 30% of the countries, which provided information, Gender traffickers make up women of the largest proportion. The largest proportion are traffickers that are female. You know, sexual victimization among male college students, assault severity, sexual functioning, and health risk behaviors include, you know, number one, that people don't believe that it can even happen, that that a male uh, can't be raped. Also, a man, a man gets uh, slut-shamed, too, just in a different way. And it's way more common than you think. In a 2012 survey of 40,000 households that found a staggering 38% of sexual assault victims were actually male. And that includes molestation, by the way. You know, so, but society treats this as a joke, and you instantly become a political football. Now, male-on-male rape is another story, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about women's rape fantasies, which also can be uh, put bait out there uh, for rapists and scenarios. And also we're going to talk about gang rape. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Look 
been inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but... If you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about rape. And uh, we just finished talking about uh, female to male. And I have to add a few things. Uh, who are the females that often rape? Well, it's obviously a female to usually a younger boy or a boss to an employee. Um, but more, most often it is an older woman that has lots of uh, either t- time alone or s- some intimate type of relationship with a younger boy that turns into a sexual relationship. It could be a babysitter. It could be a nanny. Uh, it could be a teacher. It could be whoever is is consistently exposed to that younger that younger uh, man who may not have any boundaries, and so that's often where that comes from. Now, male on male rape is all too often not reported, and to tell you the truth, it is rarely, if ever, mentioned in the media. But society has chosen to 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 look the other way regarding this kind of crime, and this is even today in many social circles is taboo. Men pick up on this tension and integrate it into their subconscious. And in essence, societal behavior tells us that male-on-male rape is not to be discussed. Male victims are well aware of this. And this societal uh, restriction transfers and becomes internalized. And it makes it less likely that the victims will report their attacks. So, you know, these kind of crimes, male-on-male, are more common than you might think. But if you few... Uh, uh, but few know about the rapists who stalk these kind of people. There is a stereotype, such as predators that are homosexual. However, this is not the case. Rapists who prey on males can be sexually oriented towards women, towards men, or both. And, it, and it's most typical for such of these rapists to be actually heterosexual or bisexual and living with a partner. Often, they consider themselves to be very masculine. And go overboard in protecting that image. Tattoos, excessive drinking, having many uh, consensual sexual partners is very common amongst these type of rapists. And in fact, these kind of offenders believe that the rape makes them more masculine, which builds a grandiose self-perception. And unlike the male-on-male killer, the rapist tends to be gregarious and outspoken. And if they're able... 
They keep up their appearances and their exercise. They will try to dress in a way that they value their sexuality. And people who know them would be surprised by their attacks. They, they, though they would, would uh, know that the rapist had a short fuse, uh, they would never suspect them of this kind of violence. Domestic violence is something that you see within these kind of people's relationships. And amazingly, they don't seem to have trouble making partners fall in love with them. So males who target other males for rape are uh, dominant personalities who are often intelligent. And they use very cunning uh, uh, thoughts to manipulate those around them. And if that doesn't work, there's always the threat of violence. And more often than not, they live in a, in a lower class area and earn their way by living off others. Uh, they are easily bored and rape to give them a challenge. It, it gives them a sense of control and they don't believe in moving on after someone has wronged them. So they hold grudges forever. And surprisingly, they will leave physical evidence at their attacks thinking that police will not be smart enough to find them. And with their big egos, they almost always taunt law enforcement. You know, when police are faced with a case involving male on male rape, they must be aware that there are more victims than they know. Because of the way the victims feel, they don't report the attacks. Because this person is so overbearing and has such a strong social recognition out in the community. And this makes it a whole lot more difficult because they can have several people testify to how good that, that rapist is rather than, than actually the poor person that's been raped to actually defend themselves. So this makes it more difficult to profile and analyze because you do not see the correct uh, progression or, or spattle pattern in the assaults. These types of cases are much more difficult to, to work. And so officers don't, don't hesitate to contact an expert when they are in these kind of cases because they're so unaware and there's so little studies on these kind of guys. Um, you know, as with any uh, underserved victims, we need more education and we need more awareness so those who actually suffer from the attacks, the attacks understand that they are never to blame and the only sick, demented rapist holds the responsibility. The victim should never feel ashamed. If you ever find yourself the victim of attack, of any rape, men, women, whatever, please get help and know that you're not alone. There are people who care and who want to help you and will help you get through. Now, people have actual rape fantasies, and this is across the board. Now, most of these studies are focused on women. Oftentimes, the men don't folk, aren't willing to communicate about their rape fantasies, but women are okay with communicating it uh, more than the men. So a lot of these statistics come from women but have a commonality with people who actually fantasize about being raped. And, and this, um, more than 90% of women admit having had uh, sexual fantasies, and depending on, on the study, uh, some one-third to two-thirds confess that at least occasional fantasies about for being forced into sex. And, of course, sexual assault is a horrible violation. You know, why would any sane person uh, fantasize about it? But a recent study shows that rape fantasies are more prevalent among women who are the most erotically open and adventurous and who feel most comfortable daydreaming about sexual situations way beyond what they've ever want to experience. And once again, these are fantasies. This doesn't mean that they're actually going to follow through with it. 
But these studies were uh, the researchers at Notre Dame and the University of North Texas gave standard psychological tests to 355 women undergraduates who formed a reasonable a demographic cross-section of young Americans. And then the researchers studied the women's sexual fantasies, and finally the women were asked uh, if they ever fantasized. And number one of, of all their fantasies was being forced by a man to surrender sexually against their will. Uh, number two is uh, being forced by a woman to surrender sexually against their will. Number three was being forced into sex against their will because they were incapacitated by drugs, alcohol, or being unconscious. Uh, the other fantasy is being forced by a man to give him oral. Being forced by a woman is next, giving oral. And the next is being forced to have anal. Another one is raped by a man, raped by a woman. You know, researchers did not define forced or rape. You know, they left the participants to use their own understanding of the terms forced, having somewhat less negative connotations than rape itself. But this, the, this study was, uh, was far from the first attempt to understand why some people have rape fantasies. You know, a long time ago, psychologists believed that dreams and fantasies, which are daydreams, were often subconscious wishes. Therefore, women who had rape fantasies would actually want it to be coerced in the sex. Just because they had the fantasies doesn't mean they want it. This does not condone it. It just means it's a fantasy to heighten their sexual desires. You know, and this is just because people have fantasies does not give any consent to violating any human being sexually. You know, the view has been thoroughly debunked because family fam, fantasies don't necessarily reflect wishes. You know, among those in long-term relationships, one of the most common fantasies is sex with someone else, even when the daydreamer is happy with the relationship they have. And, and no, they don't really have a real desire to jump in bed with somebody else. But plenty of men fantasize, you know, saving damsels in distress without the slightest real wish to face uh, a raging fire on the 23rd floor. They, they, they wish wishing plays a role in some of these fantasies and notable dreams of striking it rich or losing weight are also fantasies that people have those commonly. But having erotic fantasy in no way means you want it to come true. You know, so forget the fulfillment. Today, psychologists suggest that women in, or any person's rape fantasies have three possible explanations. All right. One of them is sexual blame avoidance. And this is the most popular explanation of rape fantasy. And it recognizes that the erotic area or the erotic desires may trigger feelings of anxiety, guilt, and shame. And, and how can someone enjoy robust sexual fantasies without developing these feelings? So fantasize about being forced. That way women uh, aren't responsible or people aren't responsible for the sex and need not feel distressed about it. They can say, I was forced. It wasn't my fault. Now, the other sexual fantasy category is sexu sexual desirability. And this is also a motive to have these kind of fantasies. And this explanation reflects that the... Are, it's basically in all the romantic novels, which is wildly popular amongst especially women. It's one of the single largest selling category of fiction. In romantic novels, a powerful, dangerous man becomes so enthralled by the protagonist that he must have her or that person, even if it's pursuant to assault. Eventually, uh, she tames the man 
and they marry and have children. The sexual desirability explanation says that that person being uh, raped fantasizes to bolster their feelings of seductiveness and desirability. I'm so hot, I drive other people crazy. And then there is another category called sexual openness. And now this explanation says that people who enjoy sex and accept their enjoyment without anxiety, guilt, or shame feel sufficiently free to play with erotic scenarios beyond the boundaries of what they ever want to experience in real life. It's a fantasy. I'm free to fantasize anything. And that's basically this other category of people who fantasize about it. So, you know, in talking about this, I'm not going to give it a whole lot more uh, of, uh, of time. But the deal is, is that it is out there and it is a trigger. And some people uh, will want to fulfill fantasy and be a part of being raped because they have a subconscious desire. And so that doesn't mean that they're responsible, but that means that it may be part of their fantasy life. Now, what is this thing about gang rape? You know, football players at a party... You know, gang rapes in India, mob sexual violence in Egypt, rapes of women, often groups of men in Syria or the Congo or Texas or in the military. You know, there is something very understandable about gang violence. People are more likely to do something if they feel like they can get away with it in large numbers. Ironically, you know, some statistical likelihood of not getting caught is what they're hoping for. And similarly, there is something very puzzling about gang sex rape. Why don't bystanders intervene more often? How can people let themselves behave so atrociously just because they're in a group? You know, it's not hard to imagine a bystander feeling nearly as overwhelmed by a gang or a mob as a victim themselves. And that's something that aids uh, the, per- the perpetrators themselves. You know, a lot of sociologists have argued that other men are often intended audience of the sexiest gestures and comments and that harassment has much more to do with keeping women in their place than sexual attraction. And logically, gang rape is explained more by men, by, by often, by the way, gang rape is most often, not all the time, most often uh, perform men to women. And, and so gang rape is explained more by men's need to perform uh, uh, for their gender to show to the, the other people in their gender how great they are. And, uh, and, and it's explained by this irresistible desire that they think they can get away with it. You know, sexual attacks, particularly of women, are on some level condoned by society. You know, we're told sometimes explicitly that women ask for it. Uh, You know, by being alone or by wearing short skirts or by dressing sexy or by partying or by drinking or having uh, loose hair or wearing tight clothes or wearing impractical heels, hanging out with the wrong people, wrong place, wrong time, wrong bad choices. You know, few people, if any at all, actually say in so many words that sexual attacks are acceptable. But when victim blaming is pervasive, despite the notable and well-publicized articles out there in media – when boys are taught, however subtly, that women's bodies are for their pleasure, it's not a stretch to think that some men in groups might think it's okay to abuse women. And they may not even think that carrying out a, a drunk, sleeping woman to, by her ankles and wrists constitutes abuse. They might think, however stupidly, that they don't perform some sexual act on an incapacitated woman, uh, whether by drugs, alcohol, or force. They are lesser men than other men in the group. 
you know, and, and so basically, you know, they are less than if they don't perform that on that person that is incapacitated. When you consider how few men ever can, were convicted of rape, you realize that there's a subtle message. It's not that bad if it were we would try harder to prosecute the perpetrators. And that out there is a sad truth. You know, psychology gang rape is aided by numbers, by underlying aggression, by anger, uh, by misogyny. By, you know, Gloria Steinem terms it a, a cult of masculinity by a culture that, uh, that does too little to hold perpetrators accountable. But with that combination of factors, you know, it's hard to understand why many men in a group would would think a man with an erection behind a uh, two 20-year-old women was nothing more than terribly funny. You know, it's disgusting. Now, here's the – we're going to go into some of the effects of rape because it is very, very strong. These kind of effects are horrible. There's physical effects of rape. You know, the – it includes, you know, all. First of all, a painful intercourse with significant uh, other person, urinary infections, um, uh, fibroids in the uterus, which sometimes are non-cancerous uh, in the muscle wall, pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases such as HIV, genital warts, syphilis, gonorrhea. Chlamydia and, and other things. Now, here's some of the psychological effects of rape. Victims experience both short and long-term psychological effects of rape. You know, one of the most common psychological consequences of rape is self-blame. You know, victims use self-blame as an avoidance-based coping skill. And so self-blame allows or in many cases stops the healing process you know, other common emotional and psychological effects I- include stuffing. They just stuff it and they keep it a secret and they hold it a secret their whole life, yet they identify themselves with that sexual event, but they don't, they're so guilty and ashamed and feel responsible that they don't ever want to communicate it. And it causes all kinds of psychological effects. Post traumatic stress disorder is the biggest one, and that's feelings of severe anxiety and stress. And this begins 30 days after the event. Uh, depression, uh, flashbacks, which is memories of uh, of the rape as it was taking place again, as, as if it's happening right here and now. Um, also, borderline personality disorder. That's where the person causes lots of controversy in their relationship because they, they, they play people against each other and, and they have a very difficult time attaching. And it is basically an attachment disorder that goes on their whole life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk about the effects, and then we're going to talk about the recovery and how to support and help someone who's been raped. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. 
pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the deep and dark topic of rape, and we're talking about the effects of rape on the people who've been raped. But I have to, I also want to say that uh, in cleaning up from the last segment, that, that it's important to understand who often is the most common targets of rape. And I would tell you, that people that are uh, borderline intelligence or maybe semi-retarded or even retarded, those folks are a very high uh, um, probability of being raped at some point in their life, especially if they're very attractive, because they don't know how to defend themselves. Um, The other thing is children and women that are often uh, more introverted and uh, keep themselves more isolated, uh, don't tend to have a lot of people around them, but are out there in the community maybe working with people or maybe going to school with a lot of people, and they just kind of hold themselves aloof, those people are kind of, it's considered, well, you don't need to pay attention, they don't want your attention, and so therefore they don't tend to have uh, the ability to defend themselves. The other one is at parties. People at parties, you're going to get that all the time, especially drinking, smoking, taking drugs, any of that stuff that's going on at a party, it is more than likely if you open a bedroom or open a car or go somewhere within a half mile of that uh, party, uh, that if it's extensive, there is probably going to be some kind of violation going on at some point. And then family members. Oftentimes when people are, are uh, left with family members, especially older family members that may be in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, even teenage years, even brothers, sisters, those people often take advantage of the circumstances and propagate uh, a, a rape or some type of molestation. All right, now let's look once again at the, at the psychological effects. We talked about flashbacks. We talked about PTSD. We talked about depression. But also sleep disorders are a big thing. Eating disorders come out in rape. They, they oftentimes uh, uh, want to change their body's identity. And some people will eat a whole lot to make themselves very unattractive so that nobody will rape them. And other people will take away food, try to make themselves unattractive by becoming extremely fragile and skinny. Sometimes they end up killing themselves because they eat themselves to death or they starve themselves to death. Also, uh, dissociative identity disorder. They have to go into denial because this event happened and so they create what's called a dissociative identity where they actually develop other identities to personify who they are in order to cover up the rape. Guilt is the biggest psychological effect. Guilt and shame and distrust of others. Living your life without trust means you're going to have a hard time having relationships. Faith leads to trust, and I've said this on countless shows, but you know, you have to have faith in someone to lead to trust, to allow them to become a person you can trust. 
you know, a lot of people take on guilt because they feel that they were too naive to understand what the motive uh, was of the rapist or that 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 person was stalking them or that person was coercing them, that they they feel ashamed because they were too naive. But I also also tell you that another population that is highly susceptible to rape are people that are schizophrenic and people that have uh, bipolar uh, personality disorders and bipolar uh, uh, symptoms. These people are also depression, especially if it's an incapacitated depression where they're laying in bed all the time. And they, these people are often very vulnerable to uh, rape. All right. Anger is also another psychological effect uh, after the rape takes place. Anger at themselves, anger at the world, anger at the rapist, anger at uh, lots of people. They also have feelings of personal powerlessness. They become deeply insecure. Many do. They feel that the rapist robbed them of their control over their own bodies. And so they don't feel like their body belongs to them, that they have become an object. And that's what rape does. It turns a person not into a human because none of their thoughts, none of their rights, none of their decisions are taken into account. It's only the rapists. And so they feel like an object instead of a human being. You know, the aftermath of rape involves a cluster of acute and chronic physical and psychological effects. And it's important that victims uh, 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 bring it up in a comprehensive care program to a therapist, to somebody where there's some sense of confidentiality, where they can get their arms around the problem and not let the rape define their life. It's only one event in your whole life. Why let that event define who you are? But to have it sitting in your subconscious programming how you think, how you approach sex, how you may or may not have intimacy problems with your loving partner, you know, that can cause a lot of problems, folks. So you want to take on head on, if you've ever been raped, you want to recover and you can recover. If you've been unfortunate enough to experience rape, you are not alone and you should know that rape is not the end of your wellness, your sex life or any other part of you. The first step in recovery from rape, and it's important that the first step in your rape recovery plan become a medical treatment. And this can be a screening for sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancy, infection, as well as the assess um, for, for any physical injuries. So it's important to get medical care as soon as possible to avoid larger problems in the future. So medical treatment is the number one thing to do if you've been raped. Medical treatment providers can also typically refer you to other providers who can help you recover from the rape. Now, rape treatment, now that's the recovery from the psychological uh, aspect, can involve many things, and part of this may be formal. Not all people who have been raped feel the need for professional help, but this help can often aid and speed the recovery from rape. Usually in all trauma, the earlier you get to it, the better the, the outcome is of treatment. You know, um, formal treatment is particularly important if you find the effects of rape distressing. And these effects may include you, you're having flashbacks of the rape, you have weight gain or weight loss, sudden changes in eating or sleeping habits, feeling guilty or responsible, feeling out of control, unexplained fear or anxiety, feeling depressed or hopeless, changes in your attitude towards men or women, whoever the perpetuator is, fear of your partner, changes in your sexual responses like the lack of desire, lack of orgasm, painful intercourse, you know, wanting to talk to someone about the rape or your feelings but not doing it, 
you know, and rape recovery treatment typically involves rape therapy, and the therapy is delivered one-on-one or in a group, and you may also wish to go to couples counseling so that you and your partner can work through the rape's effects on your relationship. You know, local rape crisis centers often provide counseling and can connect you with, with, with a provider who's actually uh, an expert at recovery of rape. You know, coping with being raped is the next step, and it's a large part of coping with being raped is learning to gain, to again care for yourself after the traumatic event. You know, rape uh, survivors often feel uh, dirty or guilty, and while the rape survivors should never feel these things, these feelings are real, and they can prevent someone from taking good care of themselves. So good self-care can be an important part of rape recovery. Also, physical self-care means caring for your physical needs, and it's something many people forget. That physical self-care includes diet. You know, oftentimes people who are raped will have an eating disorder, usually eating more to reform their body in a non-sexual way so that it won't be desired by someone else. You know, someone uh, for, forgets to eat healthy sometimes, but it's important when you're healing from trauma to take time to ensure proper nutrition. So if your body feels good, it's more likely that your mind will too, and that is the best defense against this ever happening again. Also, exercise. Exercise can help combat the feelings of stress, fatigue, and depression. You know, 60% of a mild antidepressant can be resolved by 20 minutes of a vigorous cardio and that could be a, a vigorous walk, meaning it's, it's, it's not like fast walking, but a, a very good speed of walking or running. Any kind of cardio that goes more than 20 minutes is about 60% of an antidepressant. So if you want to lower stress and fatigue and depression, a midday walk or a morning walk or an evening walk and doing it because you got to do it to take care of yourself, it's, it's called self-medicating. That is the thing to do. Also, sleep. You know, many people are chronically sleep deprived, and this can contribute to a lot of ill feelings. So, most adults need seven to 10 hours of sleep to function properly. You know, getting over being raped also means caring for yourself emotionally. Emotional self care includes counseling, seeing a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, a, a, a preacher, a minister, a, a priest. It can be a part of your recovery. Also, journaling. Journaling is big because that gets you outside of the problem. It gets you outside of the event and lets you put it on paper and maybe put it away. You know, some people that treat PTSD will have you uh, write your events in your life that have been traumatic on a rock and, and then throw it off a cliff over your back to where it's no longer there. You know, some people find journaling or writing down their thoughts and feelings very, very helpful uh, meditation or relaxation exercises can also be very good to rest your mind and force you to think about your body and reshaping your body and making you, your, your mind quiet and calm. You know, also keep in mind that self-care for rape recovery also involves choosing the right people to surround yourself with. You know, you want to choose people who are supportive and don't, you know, don't only call when they want something. You want to make spending time with people who make you feel good about yourself a priority. And so, you know, it's just so important once you, if you've been through some kind of traumatic event like rape, is that you do not let that event or that rapist become any more focus of your life. They already took enough from you. Why do you need to focus on that event over and over and over again? Well, you need to focus on it to clear it out. 
get it out of the way. But that doesn't mean you spend the rest of your life thinking about that event and making that rapist even more powerful than they were in the moment in which they raped. Let's see. So, so now let's look at how can you help somebody who you know who has been uh, victimized by rape or molestation or any type of, uh, of rape violation where they tried to commit the, the crime. You want to encourage them, number one, if you hear about this, you need to encourage them to get to the doctor immediately, get medical attention. Even if your friend does not know if they would like to go to the police or not, it is important that they are seen by a doctor, a medical professional, to make sure they are okay. You know, doctors can help address the injuries, and they may uh, help them in, in encouraging them to report the rape to the police. But y- your friend should not sh- shower or change clothes prior to going to the doctors, even though they may have a strong desire to. Of course, they want to be clean again, but the deal is if they go get medical, you've got the DNA right there, and they can find the criminal a lot easier than they could if it's far after the crime. You want to offer to go with your friend for support if they want, and your friend may not be thinking clearly. However, they should be under the care of a doctor just in case they're exposed to any transmitted diseases, any physical harm, whatever it may be. They do not know if they if they have been harmed in any way. It is important for you to take charge and try to get that medical care. You also obviously want to encourage to have the medical evidence for the police and then get the police involved immediately. That would be the next step. And, and if not, the first step you take is getting the police involved immediately. But but this is on the helping side. This is once, once they're safe, once you guys have uh, called the police and dealt with it. Hopefully that that's been done rather than them stuffing in it and just telling you, you get that medical help right away. And if it's possible that your friend could have got pregnant during the attack, you know, the doctor can help with the medication to decrease the likelihood of pregnancy and eventually a pregnancy test. You know, in some situations, in some states, laws may require a doctor to report suspected rape cases to the authorities, which should help keep your friend safe. You know, doctors will be able to also assist with collecting evidence, including Uh, for the police so they can pursue that criminal themselves. The other thing is, the next thing is to provide your friend with resources. Your friend may be feeling very alone and very lost, and their world may feel like it has been turned upside down. So you can help by giving them some direction and giving them resources that they can use if they choose to. So try to offer the resources gently and subtly and have them Uh, written down or printed out so they have some concrete way of doing it. You want to find local support groups for survivors of crimes or survivors of rape or sexual assault. It may be very helpful eventually if your friend to be able to talk to others that understand what they're coping with because they've gone through it too. Also find local counselors or psychologists that may specialize in the work with survivors of sexual assault. And you also want to offer to be a resource and help them uh, with anything they might not need, they may need to heal. The next step is to report or help your friend report the perpetrator to the authorities. Very important that if they know who it is, that they, you encourage them in every possible way to get that per- perpetrator off the streets because that perpetrator is going to perpetrate with other people and those people are going to be destroyed in some way also. You also want to make sure they are safe. Safety is the big thing because if we want the mental effects of the rape to, to continue, don't feel safe. And so we want to make sure they are always feel like they're in a safe environment. You also want to know, make them know you're there for them. You want to listen. And believe them. Don't deny them their truth. 
And be careful with physical comfort. You don't want to start approaching them and touching them in, in ways that they feel violated because they may actually get un- feel more unsafe at that point. And you want to encourage them to get counseling and remind them it's not their fault and let them be in control of something, anything, any kind of way to control what they eat, what they do, whether they go to sleep or not. And, and you want to focus on as much as, uh, the, of the event as they want to. Let them talk it out. In, and the other thing is if you're helping somebody through rape, you want to take care of yourself and you want to be patient. All right, that's our show. Our next show is Coping with Sudden Disability. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or, at, or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, a cult following is a nice way of saying very pe- few people like you. And uh, the, the other thing that we want to, to, to recognize is that people can be very strange and the deal is, is that not all strange people are bad people. Sometimes if you open yourself up to a strange person, you may discover that they're very unique in many ways and bring life to your life. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.